Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, as we now move to the portion of our worship service where your word is, where your gospel is proclaimed in its native language, in heralding, in announcing, in proclaiming, Lord, I pray that your spirit would cause your word to do the work from which it left your mouth. Lord, I pray that it would create faith. It would call us to repentance. Lord, that we would hear your word as the voice of the good shepherd who has already laid down his life for us and that we would follow. Lord, I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, last week, we began a, a series of sermons which proclaimed the gospel of Jesus and which also look at the glory and responsibility that is given to humans, to all those who are made in the image of God. We saw that this is a unique privilege that is given to humans, a unique privilege to glorify and enjoy God in a way that no other created being could ever enjoy God and know him as his image bearers. Every single one of Adam and Eve's descendants made in the image of God greater, a greater glory than dinosaurs, butterflies, and angels. We also know that this, comes, this came with a, a greater responsibility in that we are always imaging God no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter what we think. We're always saying something about God. We can't escape from that. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We're always declaring Oh, this is what God loves. This is what God hates. This is what God is like. This is true whether you love God or you hate him. This is something you can't escape. So you're either, either saying something that's true about God or you're saying something that is false about God. A, a glorious privilege and also a high and lofty responsibility. And it was in God's image that Adam and Eve sinned, representing God. And so the curse fell on them and on every one of their offspring. And God had promised that it would be death that would come upon them the day that they ate of the tree, the day that they disobeyed God, the day that they used God's image in a way that was not in keeping with his character. And God was gracious. They did not die that day. God sustained their lives until they would have offspring, until they could produce nations and people and humanity because God from that humanity would call a people to himself and he would send them his own son who would also be a son of Eve to redeem them from the curse of sin. We saw last week that the Lord Jesus, though he was God, he became man. What he did is he took on humanity, and because his humanity and his divinity were united in the person of Christ, what that means is that his, his divinity is pressed into that humanity that didn't change it to be something other than humanity. It was true humanity. But because they were united in the person of Christ, it became the, in, the exact imprint of the nature of God in a way that had never been in a created being. Not that Christ himself was created, but there had never been an image of God that had perfectly borne the image of God in such a perfect and permanent way because the, the humanity of God and the divinity of God 
or humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ were united in his person. So we see that he fulfills the calling of humanity to perfectly image, image God. And so he fulfills what we could not do. And he also then died for our sins. He took on, as it were, our identity as sinners on the cross. He became sin. And so he paid for our sins and he fulfilled our obligations. Those who belong to him by faith. Today we're going to look at one of the sweet things that comes because of that. Because we're not just saved by Christ if we are Christians. We're united to him. This is one of the most beautiful doctrines that there is. The most beautiful teachings of scripture. The union with Christ of the church. We are made one with him. He the head, we the body. We're made one with him. Marriage comes close to this, but is not good enough to fully understand this. We are one with him. That means that we are conformed more and more to his image. He fills us with his life, and then he transforms us. So that's what we're going to be looking at today as we uh, it's basically a part two of the introduction in our series, looking at the image of God and identity and human identity and, and dignity. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to read three chapters today. And uh, so we're, we're going to go cover a lot. But this is necessary, I believe, to cover this in its context so we can really grasp the purpose of what holiness looks like, what repentance looks like. What sanctification looks like. What does it mean to live now as a Christian and, and call people to live as Christians? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read first the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to, to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you know that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' bright face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory to come to, uh, ha to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. We'll pause there for a moment. So here Paul is comparing the Old, old Covenant which was given to the people of Israel, given through the ministry of Moses. He's comparing the old covenant to the new covenant, the covenant that was given through the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Paul calls the old covenant the ministry of death. Did you notice that? Ministry of death. It's also called the ministry of the law. Now, Paul here is speaking in comparisons, okay? 
He's speaking in comparisons. In comparison to the new covenant, the old covenant was a ministry of death, but it was good. God gave his people the law, the commands of God, which described human life which pleased him, life which glorified him, what it means to use our humanity to glorify God. The law gave these commands and ceremonies and that demonstrated the holiness of God and also the calling of the people of God to be holy, to be like him, to image him, you could say, as much as created beings could be like him. The law also had sacrifices, though, to pay for the sins of the family of God, the sins which the law of God had exposed in them. The the law of God exposes the sins that was in his people. So tons of sacrifices, dead animal bodies, blood constantly flowing to show the wages of sin is death. And once these sacrifices made for sin of the people were made, they had to be offered again and again and again. The old covenant could not actually pay for the sin of God's people. It could only expose that sin. The demand for a life to be offered, which was never satisfied. So to use an illustration, the mortgage payments were still constantly required. More death, more death, more death, more death. And that's why the old covenant can be called the law, and also why it could be called the ministry of death. Especially in comparison to the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's fulfilled the law on behalf of his dear people. And the sacrifice of his life had done what the animal sacrifices could never do. It actually and fully and finally paid the penalty of death for God's people. And then he was raised to life on the third day. And that's why Christ's ministry or the new covenant can be called the ministry of life. No more sacrifices needing to be made. No more death paying for sin. So another difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and you could see this here in Paul's letter, was that the law of Moses was carved. It was carved for the people of God. you remember what it was carved on? Tablets of stone. By the finger of God. But the ministry of Christ writes the law of God, his design for glorifying him and, and living as image bearers of God, He writes that law by his spirit into the hearts of his people. But there were people in the old covenant that also had the law of God written on their hearts, Derek. Yes. Yes, but that was done because those believers, even long before Christ came, they were added to him and participated in his future ministry by faith, even though it had not yet happened. There is a true transformation, an inner conforming that the ministry of Moses alone was not able to do. It couldn't do that. It couldn't transform. The law couldn't transform. Moses' ministry was temporary. It was really only there to proclaim the future ministry of Christ, which would be more glorious and which would be more permanent. And also to transform from within. He would fulfill the law to pay for sins, and then he would also conform from within those whom he had paid for with his death. Now, the ministry of Moses was glorious, though. 
Christ is not merely greater than terrible things. He's not just more glorious than unglorious things. He's more glorious than glorious things. He's greater than the ministry of Moses. Because it actually did, the ministry of Moses, it did reflect the glory of God. And Paul, you saw that. He reminds us of that when when Moses, the mediator between God and his people, he met with God in order to bring back commands and promises to the people. As Moses met with God, God's glory, it was still not even fully revealed to Moses. But the the glory of God so impressed, it actually left an impression on him visibly. This, This glory was leaving his face shining, a face that reflected the glory of God. So much so that the people of Israel told him to cover up his face, veil it. We don't, we don't want that. We'd actually prefer the veil to the glory of God. And Christ's ministry was even more glorious than Moses' ministry. It revealed more of God's character and holiness and glory and wrath and loving kindness. So let's continue here. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 now. We're going to read 12 to 18. 12 to 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now I want you to notice, Paul here is not talking about the believing Israelites of the Old Covenant, but the unbelieving Israelites. And we know this because he continues to talk about them even to this day. Their hearts not only were hardened in the Old Testament, but the unbelieving hearts, both Gentile and Jew, are hardened to the gospel of Christ. There is a veil over our eyes, over the eyes of our hearts, But the Holy Spirit opens blind eyes. He softens hard hearts to behold the beauty of the gospel when we hear it and to see it as beautiful, to see it as more beautiful than anything we could have ever heard before, a greater offer than we could have imagined God would ever make to us, a greater promise than we could ever make God make for us. The veil is removed and we see the gospel as Glorious, We see Christ as glorious. And so when reading the law, the Old Testament, and, and now, to, now to see the need of the gospel of Jesus, the need for a Savior to live and die in our place and to give new hearts. But I want you to see this. He doesn't just open our eyes to see Christ. What does he do when we see him? When we behold his glory, right? The gospel lifts up, The Holy Spirit through the gospel lifts that veil off our eyes and now we can behold the beauty and glory of Christ. What happens to us when we are beholding him face to face in that way? What happens? Well, like Moses, we too are transformed. Once a person is born again, when a person sees or believes in the gospel, that veil is removed. Not only are sins forgiven, 
by faith in Christ, but we're transformed into his image as we behold him. So a believer is transformed, and it's in one sense, it's immediate. That transformation is immediately, immediately forgiven, immediately declared righteous, immediately declared holy, immediately a child of God, immediately adopted and called by God son or daughter. That is an immediate transformation, immediately. But they're also transformed, did you notice, from one degree to another, into Christ's image. That's the work of Christ. First, he was the image of God, the perfect image of God. And then to save his people while bearing that image. And then to transform the redeemed into that image, to restore them. And so truth, faith beholds Christ. It trusts what the Bible says about Christ. And then it desires to be transformed as he is, in every way a human can be like him. But for now, we have been made new. We've been given a new birth, a new identity, belonging to to God. But we have that glory in fragile, broken, fallen bodies. Jars of clay, Paul will say, being transformed in love by him, bit by bit, while in jars of clay. Let's continue reading. We'll read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll read verse 1 to 10. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the, body, uh, uh, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh, So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with, will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I'll leave it there for a moment. Though a Christian is born again into the image and likeness of God, of Jesus, so we bear that image, we hold that glory in a fallen human body, in a jar of clay, a a jar that is broken and fallen and weak, a body which still has the sting and stain of death within it. So our bodies now, even though we are now children of God, though we see Christ by faith now, we are being transformed in our inner being, bit by bit, while still in bodies which often make that difficult and painful. Bodies which can be persecuted and beaten. Bodies and and minds included, by the way, in that when we say bodies, your mind is included, your heart is included in that, which can be perplexed and confused. Bodies which are sick and which will die. Bodies which still bear the mark of death, deformity, disability, confusion. Bodies which can enjoy sin and be tempted by it. Bodies in which holiness is sometimes painful. Bodies which often feel like living according to the image of Christ is unnatural. This feels unnatural. We have to deny desires sometimes, deny ourselves. But we walk by faith and not by sight and not by feeling. We trust what God has said about who Christ is, but what God has said about who we are now in Christ. And so when a believing woman dies, she puts off that earthly tent, that jar of clay, and is away from the body, but is with the Lord. 
beholding him face to face. And that inner transformation that was happening the mo- started the moment that she believed is immediately complete, transformed in the twinkling of an eye, complete. Whatever it was transformed by degree, bit by painful bit on earth, will be immediately and instantaneously complete. She will be like Christ. But she will still be longing for and waiting for that jar of clay which she left behind on the earth six feet underground. She will long for that body to be also glorified. The final salvation will be when the Lord Jesus returns and he raises her body to life and transforms it from a jar of clay, from a worn-out tent into a glorious and immortal body. When Adam's curse is fully erased and she is restored to do what she was created to do, but now in fullness, to glorify and know and enjoy God in a body as an image bearer. Oh, church, there could be nothing better than this. This, in fact, was the lie that Adam and Eve believed from the devil, that there could be something greater than to be a man or a woman imaging God as his creation, worshiping him and imaging him. And then to have a body which is perfectly suited to glorify and enjoy the Lord who redeemed us. A body which doesn't resist or impede or make it difficult the fulfilling of our calling as image bearers, but which in every single way delights to do so. All of our faculties and abilities restored now to do this, mental, physical, emotional. Our pleasures and desires will also be fully restored. Now glorifying God often means resisting sinful pleasures. And even embracing pain, which is often the cost of holiness. When the bodies of our brothers and sisters were burned at the stake for the gospel, in those earthly tents, those bodies could feel pain as they glorified the Lord. But they will one day be raised with bodies and senses and the ability to feel and delight and enjoy the pleasure of knowing and glorifying and enjoying God. The pleasure of fulfilling that mandate which they were created for, perfectly imaging God as his image bearers. And now while seeing Christ through, as, though a, as through a mirror dimly, while he tarries, while he waits in patience to reveal himself, we call others by the preaching of the gospel to be reconciled to God through faith in the cross of Christ. Let's continue on, and we're gonna finish off chapter five here. Therefore, verse 11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him through, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why would the Lord leave us in these jars of clay? See the glory he receives from broken vessels, weak vessels, from jars of clay. Who can deny the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when it is worked through jars of clay? Who could deny the power and work of the Holy Spirit to build a lasting and enduring church of, of weak people who have no reason to exist, no explanation for their holiness and perseverance other than what the, that the Lord her God sustains her? other than that God has made her alive and indwelt those dying bodies with his spirit and united them to his son. How is it that that man is withstanding a sin which his flesh wants so badly? How is it that that woman is clinging with, rejoicing to the identity which Christ gives her when she's mocked for it? and told that she is denying herself by rejecting her old identity and embracing the one that Christ, in his word, declares about her. Why would Christ leave her in a body or mind which can feel that kind of hurt and confusion? To reveal his glory and to show the strength of his power. And also to increase her eternal joy and knowledge of the love of her Savior. The Lord will return to restore those bodies of his dear saints and to crush those image bearers that haven't fled to him to be forgiven and restored, reconciled to him. Now his tarrying, his slowness is to be understand, understood as gracious patience so that in bodies of death and weakness, which sometimes fight the identities that God's word gives us and promises to restore us to so that we can be reconciled to him and plead with others to be reconciled to the Lord by repentance and faith. I want to say a word to our unbelieving guests. You are a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. You are bearers of the image of God. And you were created in the image and likeness of God. And in that image, you have dishonored him. You are the clay. He is the potter. 
And he gave, imagine this, clay, dust, he gave that a mind and a voice. And now the clay is talking. And with that voice and mind, you have said that you disapprove of his purpose and plan for you, his design. And the potter should rightly take that lump of clay and destroy it. But in his mercy, he became a human. He took on clay. He took on human flesh. He took on a jar of clay, a weak body. And he came to save you. He came to forgive you and also to restore you to that image. Oh, do not be a fool and say that you don't want to be restored to that image. That you don't agree with God's original design. Oh, don't be a fool. He is the potter and you are the clay. So run to him. That is the offer of the gospel of reconciliation that Christ has purchased with his his blood. God will forgive your sins because they are placed on Christ. And God will receive you based on how Christ imaged him. And also that God will restore you to a glory greater than that which was given to Adam and which he squandered. So we finished our passages in 2 Corinthians. And and so I want to give almost a second introduction because if you read the email yesterday, you might be wondering, when is he going to get to his first point? (laughs) I hope you packed lunches. Now that we've worked through this passage and seen the glory of Christ and laid these foundations, the sermon outline that you received yesterday, if you did receive it yesterday, is going to come fast and furious, okay? We're going to now take this passage. Now we've taken it in its context, and now we can ask it the questions that we want to know from it. We have questions about image and identity and humanity. We have questions about those things, and so... Now that we've understood this text, these texts in their context, now we can ask them the questions that interest us. Only after we find out what God wanted to tell us, now we can ask him what we want to ask him. So we're going to do that. So our first point is this. Christ remakes us according to the design which God declared to be very good. Christ remakes us according to the design which God declared to be very good. That's what the offer of the gospel is. What Christ paid for with his blood and with his resurrection from the dead. It's what it is. To be reconciled to God and also then to be reconciled to the identity and relationship which he created us for. It is restoring us to that identity which was not lost altogether, but which was defaced when the fall and sin came. And so this means that we, de- we agree with his declaration in the garden on the sixth day of creation that that identity, that was very good. And so we disagree with Adam and with Eve and with Satan that there is something gooder than that or very gooder than that. We think this was, along with God, we think that this identity and image and the way he created us and the purpose for which he created us, the image that he declared over us, that this is in fact very good. And Christ took on that image of a human. He, took, he bore that image as a human. 
And he fulfilled it, and now he presses that fulfilled image into his, in his, his dear church because they are united to him, and so he presses it into us. And we rejoice in that. So that's our first point. God remakes us according to the design which God declared to be very good. Second point is this. Repentance is an embrace of God's original design. Repentance is an embrace of God's original design. There is no salvation without repentance and faith in the gospel. Now, repentance doesn't save you. I want to be clear about that. Faith in Christ, trusting in Christ, saves you, but repentance is an indication that you know you need to be saved. And it's an agreement of what salvation actually is. You know what salvation is, and then you trust Christ for it. And so you know that salvation is being restored to the image of God that was defaced in the garden. Repentance is always embracing God's original design. Repentance is not merely agreeing to stop doing the things that you think are wrong or the things that you feel are wrong. That's not merely what repentance is. It is agreeing with and embracing God's original design. That's always what repentance looks like. It means to look at the original design and God's own words about your identity and embracing those things. Sin is always a rejection of God's good design. And so it is foolish then to say, if we've read 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5 and the rest of the Bible, it is now foolish to say, so long as I'm not hurting someone, I can do as I wish. Imagine a pot saying that to a potter. Repentance is conforming to the image of Christ. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believer, transforming us, writing the law of God in our hearts to conform us into the image of Christ as a perfect image bearer by degree, bit by bit, until we see him face to face and it is complete. So calling someone to repentance is always a call to embrace the original design in creation before the fall. Not to embrace an identity a person feels, but one declared by God the creator and the redeemer of the church. God is the potter and we are the clay. And so we embrace identities his word gives us and we see others not according to how Fox or CNN or Rebel News or CBC tells us to view others. According to the flesh, Paul says. But we see them according to the word of God. Our third point, told you it was fast. For now we hold this treasure in jars of clay. This will be a struggle. We shouldn't be surprised when our flesh, our minds, our desires do not line up with what God declares about him and ourselves and others. We shouldn't be surprised when that all doesn't line up or it's not easy or doesn't feel natural. When repentance and conformity to the image of Christ means that we deny desires. Or when what we think about other people is different than the way God's word tells us to think about them. When it feels good in our flesh to live against his design. We shouldn't be surprised at that. 
We should also not be surprised when it causes suffering to live according to his design. The Psalms are filled with this sorrow. I'm living righteously and therefore I suffer. And so it should be no surprise that our bodies are not just stained with desires that go against our design, but when our bodies themselves are affected by sin's curse, amputations, mental disabilities, confusion in our thinking that doesn't line up with reality, blindness, infertility, deafness, paralyzation. And we see that this in no way makes somebody as less a person, less a man, less a woman. They, are, they remain a whole person. But it doesn't do anybody any favors to say that this is not according to God's good design. This is a result of the fall, which means it's something that we can rejoice in the hope that it will be restored. And so we can honor the dignity of a man or a woman while grieving the loss of function or ability that, caused, that was caused by the fall into sin. So let's not be fools now to deny the identities which God will once one day restore us to. Denying God's design is not good. And so we can admit that we live in jars of clay without denying or, or insulting the identity or dignity or value of a person. We can see how God originally created us. And we can see a difference between then and now, but that doesn't change God's good design. It recognizes it and longs for it to be restored. There was recently a conversation in the House of Commons where somebody was called out for, for insulting how God had created another person, and it was in relation to a sinful identity. You see what's going on there? When we talk about somebody's identity, we talk about the identity he gave them before the fall, his original creation. And we call them to that, and we embrace that. We long for, the for, the, for, the, uh, uh, for our bodies to be fully restored. I I'm personally looking forward to having 10 full fingers again. <laughs> Herman, you too, I'm sure. See, these things will be banished. And only goodness and fullness will be there. So we can know which things will be restored and which things will be banished. We can know that already right now. We can know which things will be undone, which sad things will be, as Sam Ganji hoped with Gandalf, which things will come untrue. We can know that. And which things will be restored. That brings us to our fourth point. Our third was, for now we, we hold this treasure in jars of clay, but our fourth point is one day the redeemed will glorify and enjoy God on this earth with bodies perfectly suited to do so. That is the hope of the gospel. For now we bear this treasure, being children of God, restored and reconciled to God. Even now, we bear that in jars of clay with bodies and minds and desires that sometimes make it hard. Sometimes make it easy, though, but sometimes make it hard. But it won't be that forever because our earthly tents will be replaced with heavenly dwellings 
Can you imagine a body that can do nothing but have pure joy and delight in obeying God and God's design for us? A body with senses and desires and abilities all tuned perfectly to embrace the glory of being an image bearer of God, of existing for his glory and showing his character and enjoying the infinite love and affection that caused him to send his son to save us while we were his enemies. Church, rejoice. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. And if anyone is in Christ, he is now, she is now a new creation and will one day be fully restored into the likeness of Christ But even now, the Lord transforms us into the image of his son. Even now, we get to enjoy the loving relationship with God that Christ alone deserves. Even now, enjoying the identity and embracing the identity which God has given us in Christ. Not strangers, not enemies, not condemned, but heirs, children of God. So even now, we delight in that love and new identity and restored identity in jars of clay. But can you imagine glorifying and enjoying God with our whole selves? No more denying desires for the sake of glorifying God. No more rejecting how we feel about people in order to glorify God. Hearts restored, minds restored, tastes and appetites and desires restored feasting in the presence of the Lord as we were created to do, at his table, in the place of the Lord, Jesus Christ, that he deserves as children. Because he loved us so greatly that while we were enemies of his, in his image, dishonoring him, he died for us. So church, let us hold fast to that hope Because he who has such a hope purifies himself now as the Lord Jesus is pure. And one day we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for creating us in your image. And Lord, we thank you for loving us even though we have fallen. In that image, we have fallen and dishonored you and disobeyed you. And Lord, then loving us enough to send your son to forgive us and also to restore us to that image. And thank you for sending your spirit to us even to press that image of Christ into us and to transform us day by day, bit by bit, even while in these jars of clay. And Lord, I pray that we would not lose heart, that we would not reject your design in the hope to be restored, but that, and and, and we would not embrace a view of you or Christ or ourselves of others that the world has. Lord, I pray that you would transform us and hold us and encourage us 
until the day when you return and we see Christ face to face and our bodies are raised immortal to know you and glorify you and enjoy you forever. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.